So this fall, we've been exploring tough questions of faith, all questions that are important because they are questions that are asked by Jesus at different points in his ministry, and they're found throughout the Gospels. So let me quickly review what we've already unpacked and addressed. Jesus' question to Peter, who do you say that I am? To his disciples, why are you afraid, you of little faith? What will it profit them to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? The question, what are you looking for? From the Sermon on the Mount, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? Who was a neighbor to the man beaten and left on the side of the road? Justin explored that question. And do you want to be made well? Today, we're still in John's Gospel, chapter 21, It's after the resurrection, Jesus has appeared and has had breakfast with his disciples and he is now having a serious conversation with Peter. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was now hurt because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now keep in mind the reason why Jesus asked this question of Peter three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus on the night that he was arrested and led to crucifixion? It was three. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understood what he was asking him to do. If Peter loved Jesus, then Peter needed to understand that Jesus was asking him to shepherd and take care of his people. And it was upon Peter that the church was built. Remember, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, when Jesus says, do you love me more than these, there are two possibilities of of what he might be talking about. The first is he might be saying to Peter, who had been out fishing with the disciples, which was his profession, do you love me more than your work? Are you prepared to give up a steady job a life of comfort to go out and do what I am asking you to do? What will you sacrifice to follow me? A question that we should all answer. Or he might simply have meant, do you love me more than these disciples? Because if you do, there are some things that I need from you. I need you to feed my lambs and tend my sheep. In other words, The way that we show our love for Jesus is by loving and taking care and tending to other people. The the way that we show love for Jesus is by helping others and serving others, just as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me, which means we have opportunities every single day to show that we love Jesus. Now today I'd like to talk about this concept of love. If I asked you to sum up Christianity or the gospel in one word, the word you might choose is is love. 
Uh, in fact, I think that that might be the best choice. Jesus calls us to love each other. He, he calls all of us to, to feed his sheep and to take care of each other. Love is at the heart of the gospel. When a Pharisee asked Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest, what does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. A number of years ago, I was um, leading my uh, father's Monday afternoon men's group, affectionately called the Geezers. Uh, I've told them for years if they would rename their group, they might attract new members, but they seem to be very uh, content with this name. But I was filling in on this Monday, and I came to this group of men, mostly retired in their 70s and 80s, and I had one question that I wanted to ask them on this particular day. And that question was, looking back on your life, is there any advice that you would give to the younger generations, and is there anything that you regret when you think about how you've lived and what you've learned? And the answers that day were all over the place, but they were really, really profound. Here's some of what they said. Seek God first and develop a spiritual life at a young age. Don't work too hard at the expense of your family. Find that sacred balance between work and family. Be kind to everyone because kindness is a form of love. Enjoy every stage of life as it comes because every stage is different. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Make your faith a priority in marriage and family life. Remember, maturity and growth comes over time throughout the years. Try to become someone that you would respect and admire and, and live to be that person. Be hopeful and positive. Don't dwell too much on the past, which you cannot change. Don't compromise your character. Stay focused on meaningful objectives and keep the big picture of life in mind. Beware of instant gratification. Many things in life that are worth doing take a long time to accomplish. Lead by example. Be humble and keep your ego in check. Live within your means. Uh, money is not the answer to everything. Remember that relationships matter most, so learn to nurture them and invest in them. Take nothing for granted. Don't be entitled. Spend quality time with your children because they grow up really fast. Travel with your family. Make memories. Give it your all, whether it's work or home life. Marry somebody who can put you in your place if they need to. Cultivate friendships that will last a lifetime. Tell the truth. Love others even when they've hurt you. And don't forget the importance of forgiveness and letting things go. So many of the things that they said came back to the concept of love. So many of the things that they said actually came right out of the mouth of Jesus in his life and in his ministry and it was so good to hear that perspective because I believe that those in the younger generations need to spend more time soaking up the wisdom of our parents and our grandparents who have lived ahead of us. This fall, I'm, I'm teaching a class at Vanderbilt. I teach one class every fall. And the class is called Morality and Happiness in a Post-Corona World. Of course, when I first planned this class, I had no idea that the pandemic would still be going on. I thought it would have kind of come down and we'd be moving beyond it. But in the class, we're focusing on what it looks like to live a moral and meaningful life in a time of immense fear, stress, and uncertainty. Because if we are honest, 
That's what we've all been struggling with. And so in the course, we talk about right and wrong. We talk about loneliness, civility, incivility. We talk about how social media has exacerbated so many of the problems that we already had in this culture. And, and, and we're talking about happiness and fulfillment and, and the different ways that we seek that in life. And, and yet so many of the readings and the conversations and the breakout groups all come back to this concept of nurturing relationships with other people. What does it mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself in a time where many have a hard time loving and accepting themselves? You know, as human beings, there's always this, this battle, this tension going on in our heart. We experience love and we experience fear. We experience anger and we experience peace. We experience hope and we experience despair. We experience joy and we experience sadness. I've told you about that Cherokee legend over the years where the grandson was angry and the grandfather said, son, there's a war that goes on inside of our hearts. It's a war between two wolves. It's a terrible fight. The first wolf is evil. It's full of anger and envy and jealousy and greed and arrogance and, 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 and lies and false pride and ego. And the second wolf is the good wolf. It's full of joy and love and peace and hope and serenity and humility, benevolence, empathy, truth, and compassion. And the grandson said, well, grandfather, if those two wolves are battling, which of the wolves wins? And he said, the, the wolf that you feed. That's the wolf that wins. The wolf that you feed. This is the human condition. And the wolf that we decide to feed always wins. And the more we feed that second wolf, the better off we're going to be. The happier we're going to be. The more we will enjoy our lives. Think of what Jesus said. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. But yet the church has fallen short of that so many times. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then we find those beautiful words of the Apostle Paul as they relate to love. What does Paul say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love, Paul tells us, never ends. But yet, over the past year and a half, it's been hard to love. People are irritable and impatient. People are angry and afraid. People attack each other for no good reason. People are scared and uncertain. It's been hard to love, or harder to love. In commenting on these words from Corinthians, Tony Jarvis once said, this love to which the Apostle Paul is referring has little or nothing to do with attraction, little or nothing to do with liking. You don't fall into this kind of love. It's not something that happens to you. This love is a willed concern that you have to initiate. It's not even something that necessarily feels good. 
It's often difficult and inconvenient, unpleasant and costly. It requires maturity and self-control and toughness to overcome your natural instincts in order to love. He goes on to say love not only seeks to understand, but love assumes good and looks for good and seems, if possible, to affirm, seeks to see others in the best light possible. Jesus taught this concept that we call agape love. And agape love, I think, is a very mature, advanced form of love. Most human beings don't get it. Maybe it's because it's hard. Maybe because it seems unreasonable. And and guess what? All of us have days when we don't get it or we don't live it. Agape love is learning to love everybody in life because God loves everybody. Agape love is learning to love in the face of hurt, love in the face of betrayal, love in the face of hate. And I think we will spend our entire lives trying to grasp this notion of agape love and what it's all about. What was Jesus trying to teach us? What does it mean to love God? Not just to say we love God, but to actually love God. How do we put that into action? I think we love God when we pray. We love God when we worship, not just show up for worship, but actually open our hearts and worship. We love God when we go out of our way to serve other people. We love God when we study and reflect upon the scriptures. We love God when we commit to the church. We love God when we forgive other people because that's what Christ taught us to do. There's another passage in the Bible that I always think of when I'm teaching or preaching about love, and it's found in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then just a few verses later, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Have you ever thought of fear as being the opposite of love? You know, we always think about hate as being the opposite of love, but the Bible tells us that fear is the opposite of love. And if you think about some of the reasons why we fail to love or we love poorly, it might be because we've been hurt before, we don't want to be hurt again, we may not really know or understand the other person. Uh, We might be scared of being rejected, not having that same love back in return. All of these things have to do with fear. But the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And if we're honest, it's fear that often keeps us from loving. We just sometimes can't name that. In a time that's been full of fear, full of anxiety, full of stress, full of uncertainty, that's made love much more challenging. I love what the great British author Rudyard Kipling once wrote. He said, it is true, it is the true test of a person if he or she can keep their head when everyone else is losing theirs and blaming the problems on them. The true test of a person comes when they are hated or disliked, when others say terrible things about them, yet they stay in control and do not return hate with hate or slander with slander. Jesus referred to this as turning the other cheek. If you can master your temper, 
then you can master just about anything in life. We all have our, our boiling points, our stress points. Some of us get there faster than others, but we can all get to a point where we can't be pushed anymore. And if we don't learn to walk away, to get distance, to let things go, then we risk losing the capacity to love because we have so much anger or resentment built up, we can do great damage to relationships and friendships and marriages, damage that cannot be repaired. Love is not easy. Love is not simple. Jesus knew this, the Apostle Paul knew this. But love has been and always will be the force that holds everything together in this world. Jesus asked the question to Peter, do you love me? And I think he asks us the same question, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then we have to do something about it. Feed a sheep, take care of others, move beyond self. That's the real challenge of following Christ. Amen.